As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yo, technology, what is it all about? Welcome, welcome to Danny in the Valley. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for the reviews and ratings. Please do keep them rolling in. We have a great show for you this week. Um, We're going to be talking about voice and voice assistants like Siri and Alexa and Google Home, etc. This is the new big battle for supremacy, the battle royale that has broken out between the top technology companies. You can understand why um, if you get Imagine just getting rid of your touchscreen, your computer, your keyboard, and you could just simply ask your technology to do things and it would work and it would, you know, book your holiday and order your food, etc. Whichever company figures that out is going to make lots and lots and lots of money. Um, And we have the perfect guest to talk about all of that this week. Oren Jacob is here and Oren is the founder of a company called Pullstring. They are a computer conversation uh, company. They've been around for six years. They do tons of interesting stuff, um, ranging from the system behind the upcoming Hologram Barbie, which I bet you didn't know about, to chatbots for Call of Duty and all kinds of interesting stuff. Before Pullstring, Oren was the CTO of Pixar and was there for 20 years, worked on lots of interesting movies like Toy Story and Bugs Life and Finding Nemo. Um, anyhow, he's been at this voice thing now for six years at Pullstring. He's got a lot of very interesting and informed views. I think you'll find it very interesting. I know I did. Without further ado, Oren. The company was formed in uh, late spring, early summer of 2011. We're now here in 2017. It used to have a different name. We started as Toy Talk and then became a company known, now known as Pullstring a year and change ago. What was Toy Talk? The company has always been in the space of computer conversation. Toy Talk's emphasis was on building first-party content, our own characters and our own experiences in voice um, in the family entertainment market. There were characters on screen you could talk to and kids would talk back and forth to them. Speakazoo, The Winston Show, and other products we built ourselves. And in partnership with Mattel, brought out uh, Thomas and Friends Talk to You and the Hello Barbie physical toy. Hello Barbie's uh, release as a product and market is right on the calendar when the rise of messenger bots as text-based computer conversation begins to happen. And I think within weeks of the Amazon Echo being available to folks who are not Prime subscribers. Those events were all like right around the holiday season a year and a half ago. And for the past 18 months, we've watched Messenger bots and other text-based natural language 
interfaces like Skype and Slack and Kick and Telegram, raw SMS and others take off to a remarkable degree. And on the Amazon Echo Alexa side, that Google Assistant and other platforms that are voice-based in your house take off to a remarkable degree. Those are simultaneous events in history. So where are we now in terms of, is this the end of the keyboard? Are we seeing the beginning of the end of the keyboard? In other words, are we going to be able to tell our computers to do what we want and they will actually not say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know what I, what you mean? I don't really subscribe to the, the belief that like all mobile devices kill all desktops. For things that are better in that regard, but mobile devices gave us whole things we couldn't do with a desktop. So entire companies and industries popped up. I think by analogy, there are a bunch of things that we can now do we that would be awkward or difficult to do before that are better represented in a voice or text-based interface. Where are we? Maybe if I wave my hands and we go back to the release of the iPhone, the first year there was no app store. You just got what Apple gave you. Then 12 months later, an app store came out and a bunch of other stuff piled in. There was a year or two of like complicated things and lots of backgammon and funny sound making <laughs> apps. And then you started to see things that actually were designed and successfully designed for the mobile experience that began to take off. And I cited a few examples a minute ago. There are Alexa skill stores. You can look for Google Assistant and find other actions. Google Assistant today. I think we're just starting to explore the things that are better represented in voice now. So what kind of things, functions that today we do by tapping on our little screen or typing into our computer? Well, maybe I'll replace. answer the opposite question first, which is things that are not going to work well. <laughs> uh, people will often try to translate experiences from other platforms to the new thing and see if they work. Some things that obviously should work and will go, I think, very quick, quickly positively, the idea of group voice-based chat, because of the way that, I mean, in our house, I have both an Amazon Echo and a Google Home on the counters of my kitchen. So I've used both of them with the family. Why do you have two? Well, I work in the field, so I have to have a lot of things. There. Right. So that right. would, one reason... It's interesting to watch the interaction models and how they're similar and also how they're different and the kind of things that my kids and I, my wife and I, also talk to them and ask them to do and how they do them. You know, Blurry Your Eyes, broadly speaking, they're in some broad sense categorically similar, I should say, but a lot of the particulars are not the same and are, are different. And so that's the sort of learning how these, how Google and Amazon and the stuff built in polstering on those platforms performs differently. Uh, but to finish your question, when I'm as casually speaking to Alexa on an Echo as I do while at dinner with my kids, the idea of patching in grandma and grandpa into that, what amounts to a conference call, I can find grandma and grandpa there in a second, have them join the conversation, make a joke about this Ella Fitzgerald song that my daughter Toby's asking about because she remembers grandpa sang it for her last week, and then patch them out of the car or not as the case may be. Our family doesn't text with our grandparents like that. And bringing out a phone at dinner, at the family dinner, is like substantively intrusive. And so we have outlawed... Well, phones like, at the table. Phones and you can't bring laptops either, right? Or little Xboxes. Like there are no, <laughs> no like computer hardware comes on the table while we're sitting at our family dinner. In an audio sense, I have no trouble asking, hey, Alexa, call grandma, grandpa, let's... let's ask this question about its Ella Fitzgerald jazz song. Right, because you can um, still be sitting there and you're not... It's like yelling to a really well-informed, well-connected first cousin in the room next to you. Right. So like, hey, Alexa, what's up with that? Which we, kids do ask about whether we had a discussion about uh, different uh, names, different kinds of lava that flow out of Kilauea in Hawaii the other day. And you, uh, you brought in Alexa to that conversation. We asked and then went to Google and to see what the how that plays differently back and forth. Right. Music in general, which is part of the audioscape of a house. I did not wire my house all Sonosy, as a bunch of folks have done. Yeah. So um, I have a very sophisticated, very well-built-out home theater and sequestered all gear in that room. 
We are have been an iTunes paid music family. My children have only known paid download music from iTunes. And now the debate is, well, do we go to Amazon Music Streaming, Apple's Music Streaming, Spotify, Pandora, or other ones as well too, which we're now trying to frame that debate with my kids so they understand as we teach them about what it means to buy a service and have well, I was going to say their experience of buying. The other very substantive difference in look at the economic like processes of my family, there was always the like once every week or two weeks, then once a month, Costco trip. You get the minivan, flatten out the back row, pile the kids in, get like the two pallet party. The kids are sitting on the pallets. You're not supposed to do that, but we do. And then you go out and buy 10 pounds of, I can't believe it's not butter in a vat that lasts two years. <laughs> I can't believe it's not butter. Spray. <laughs> <laughs> that positing butter and spray that used to be so, Brilliant. so good. <laughs> or as we're pushing the push carts through Costco, you put the teepee on and the paper towels and the kids would make a bench and sit on that. And then you get like, you know, the 24 cans of, of tomato sauce. And, but that was a ritual once a month. Oh, it's a Costco trip. Oh, it's a Saturday. Here we go. Got to organize that between soccer. Day two of Alexa being in our house, we were playing around. And I said, hey, Alexa, can you add some broccoli to the sh- to the to our Amazon Fresh shopping list? And and the kids all kind of, the eye darts are like, oh, interesting. Alexa, can you please add like one gallon of chocolate ice cream? Boink, boink. Yes. Alexa, can you please add 100 gallons of chocolate ice cream? Bing, bing. Yeah. And it does it. The kids are like, whoa, how many gallons of chocolate ice cream can right. we add? So now the ritual of shopping, that day changed. We have actually not been to Costco since. But that access to the family sort of e-commerce, which went from big box to e-commerce in the course of that device being put in the house, was immediate and absolute. That's extraordinary. It was remarkable to me. So I was just talking to someone today about voice and how it's going to you know take over the world and be the next big user interface, blah, blah, blah. blah. And he was saying that there's eight companies that are spending at least a billion dollars a year to try to kind of quote-unquote, win the ecosystem mm. to create the operating system that everybody will use. Your experience that you just said, that seems to be why there is this arms race to f- how to figure this out. Voice is how we talk to each other. And so the use of voice for things that we talk about today requires a translation to a keyboard or a touchscreen on your phone today and a design of a graphical user interface to make some skeuomorphic style buttons and menus and things we feel like we're touching skeuomorphic is it actually a button is it a dial is it a slider is it a representation in the physical world transformed digitally so we can pretend we're using switches and dials and indicators and i knew i knew that i know but that's the fun <laughs> to say um but we, we have for you know a, actually a quarter century now pursued that from the well yeah we can go back to xerox park but let's start with mac os is the first consumer version of that that actually took hold and then into windows and the rest 1980 whatever that was 84 yeah to today we've been designing graphical interfaces and pursued that agenda to the nth degree then to the internet as well too and all the web-based companies and products you know too amazon included shopping that way as well but all those things have been a translation of how we use relied in the design of mechanical machinery, mechanical control panels to give a sense of dials and indicators and switches and various other things too. But we're all talking the whole time to each other, right? That's what we've been doing since birth as a human species since we invented language. And if computers can understand us now, there are a set of things that are more efficiently communicated by language and not just the raw words. Let's get, let's reach beyond where we are today. Like tone, mood, and style, the prosody of speech, it's, it's musical quality, are you ending on an up 
or ending on a down and asking questions or making statements. Subject some context because I can see you also in this interview. And are you looking super interested? I'm talking about great things or like totally bored. This conversation better and quickly um, is also a body language thing. We don't have all access to all those things we do in research labs, but like an echo device in your house has a microphone directionally and a speaker and internet connection. It doesn't have well, other models have cameras, but the generic echo does not. So that's basically a telephone call. It's audio only. And what can we understand from audio is a substantively different set of things you would get better at that than you would in a GUI interface or in a keyboard-based programmatic way. There is a very large amount of energy and focus in this area because the constituent technologies and contributing fields to this space have now gotten to a place that we can build and ship a Siri. We can enjoy the benefits of that product in market today. And as that expands over time, that demonstrated we are now at a place where you could, in 1984, ship Macintosh. So the first thing can ship now. Now let's go build out the space and see what we can do with it. Exciting times then. You know, well, so this goes ago. to my next question. of oh. So you had a fabulous job <laughs> at Pixar. Yeah. As CTO, you were there. For, you basically took it from a startup to... You know, I was an intern longer than a CTO, so we should give credit to the internship as well, too. So let's, <laughs> back in the day. You were an intern longer <laughs> like than you were a number of months. <laughs> I was an intern for several years. I had a, it, was a, it was a great internship and, and a great career. I love working It must have been a paid internship. It was paid. I mean, minimum wage back then was... This is like, you know, 25 years ago, so... So you're there for 20 plus years. Yeah. And you quit. Was it because you saw all of this transformative stuff coming? What was the reason that you said, okay, I'm going to quit making, you know, these very cool movies and try something totally different? The honest answer is they were two disjoint decisions. The first decision was to leave Pixar. Then I chose to found a company with Martin and began what became Toy Talk and Pull String. Pixar was, and I think largely still is, the darn best place you can go work in technology and, and the film industry, working on Toy Story and Nemo and running the tools group and, and stuff past that. So, You created the kind of animation software, is that right? We built a new, a new version of the animation system that, that Pixar uses to animate the films. Did you create Buzz Lightyear? No, but I did build Mrs. Potato Head. You built Mr. Potato Head? Mrs. Potato Head. Oh, it was Mrs. Well, I just well there was a there was a couple in there, right? From from right. memory, yeah. Mr. Potato was Toy Story One, and Toy Story Two, Mrs. Potato Head shows up, and I modeled her earrings and her hat, and I happened to mention this because she, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, do the turn off your cell phone thing at the Grand Lake Theater, which I saw last night here in Oakland. So oh, really? Justine, hey, look, I built Mrs. Potato Head. Was that the coolest thing that you built there? No, the thing I actually brag about most in my family Thanksgiving dinners is my dad was actually a capsule engineer in Mercury and Gemini, and for NASA as a rocket engineering scientist. I got to work on the exhaust contrail effect that comes out of the rocket duct taped to Buzz Lightyear's back when Buzz and Woody fly up over the neighborhood and then end up landing into Mom's minivan at the end yeah. of Toy Story 1. The smoke and exhaust that comes out was my visual effect. That was your visual effect. Yes. And it was true to how it would be in real life. Well, I actually did use my dad's Super 8 footage of the Gemini Mercury launches he had taken to help inspire that effect. So while Dad worked on real rockets, I worked on better rockets, is what I claim. <laughs> so if you've seen Toy Story and you watch the end of the movie when Buzz and Woody go off into space yeah. and you look at the smoke exhaust out of the rocket from Buzz's back, I'll you, claim that's that, you. I'll claim that effect as That's pretty maybe. cool. In my career, I wanted to work outside of film, and I've been there for 20 years, and I thought about that long and hard with myself and my wife as well, too, and I decided that I would explore things beyond working in film. 
uh, being open to other possibilities in my life, I happened to meet David Hornick, who's a venture capitalist at August Capital, through, my, oddly, my wife's independent film career. I met, made that connection. Eventually, he offered me a position as an entrepreneur in residence at August Capital. In the course of doing that, Martin, who I'd also worked with at Pixar and had left some years before, he and I reconnected. We began to talk about companies we might want to put together and see if that made sense to do. At the time in 2011, you would, as we did, contemplate which Groupon clone you wanted to try to build as everybody was thinking about doing that. Groupon. Back when Groupon was... A thing. Yeah. We should do Groupon for this thing. We should do Groupon for that thing. We should do lots of Groupons. And so that we spent weeks talking about that. I'm glad we didn't go down that track. Yeah. Coincidences in time. At that moment, late spring, early summer of 2011, my daughter Toby happened to be getting off of a Skype call from her iPhone, probably an iPhone 2 or 3 back Who then. Who was how old? Toby was 7 at the time. She's now 13. And she was on a Skype call with Grandma. And Grandma lives down in Southern California. And she hit the red end button on the Skype call on her phone and then turned to me and asked if she could use this thing, which was the phone, to talk to that thing, which was her stuffed bunny named Tutu. And I sort of turned my head sideways. Let me ask that question. Well, I talked to Grandma, and she's like 500 miles away, and she's here on the phone. So can I talk to my bunny? Because would that work too? Because Tutu isn't very communicative at at that moment. Right then. (laughs) <laughs> but this thing in her hand allowed her to talk to things that weren't here also. So could that same transformation occur with her in, inanimate stuffed objects in her room as opposed to actual humans 500 miles away? And it's a surprisingly innocent question, but a meaningfully deep one. So that night, while debating more Groupon clones with Martin, I shared this, this question, an observation my daughter had with Martin. And for the next two weeks, while debating more bad Groupon clone ideas every night on the phone... That question kept coming back. Like, what did she really mean by like, can I use this and talk to that? This is a phone and that's a stuffed bunny. Could we really do that? And if we could, what the heck would happen? Assume success for a minute. Tomorrow we ship an iPhone thing that lets me talk to anything that's not talking to me now in my house. If that actually was the reality we lived in, what the heck would that be about? And because there were so many questions, including could we even do this at all? I have no idea how to do that. I guess we need to recognize speech somehow. We need to answer back somehow. We had to think about what we're going to say. Oh, okay. I don't know. That setup posed enough unanswerable questions that it was beyond the scope of our current understanding. And I bet you will discover something interesting if you go that way. It's interesting that you go to where you don't know the answer as a way to start a business. Why did you run toward that? If we assume success and we could do it, I did not know what would happen. That suggests there's opportunity there for to discover new things and, and to be part of something that could be new, which was based in character. I want the bunny to talk. Those challenges all had questions behind them, but in the end, my daughter had a desire to speak to Tutu. I guess the insight there, now that I'm saying it with you here, is that that wasn't another person. So why should I be stuck on filming live action actors or recording live action, recording actual voices for animated characters? Could I instead have her talk to other things? So how do you pitch that? How do you raise money for something that you have no idea how to do? So we then spend a summer trying to figure out what we could do. What could we do? There are two of us. I guess we made a company here, I suppose. We signed some paperwork and there's a hundred bucks checking account now with no office and no place to go, <laughs> but we've incorporated. We decided a few things at that moment. One was we probably better recruit somebody who really understands speech technology very well. So a good amount of my time was spent finding one of our co-founders who's still here, Brian Langner. 
who was getting this PhD from Carnegie Mellon. It turns out that Brian's wife had a job in the Bay Area. She was moving out. He was defending his thesis in the fall and had not yet been approached by someone offering him a compelling offer. So Brian and I found each other. We met and that he ended up joining us uh, in the fall. How did you find him? I called every graduate program in North America and a computer science, electrical engineering department who had worked in speech technologies at all. Uh, Martin went off to go build something. Uh, What he tried to and successfully built first was uh, a very funny contraption. It was a voice-based busy box as an app. What is a busy box? It was an iPad application that you'd run. And when you ran it, your screen would be a front-facing camera, like you're looking at a selfie of yourself, right? But it had a special property that if you brought a physical toy into the view of the camera, let's say a toy, a Bugs Bunny, a Buzz Lightyear toy, a Darth Vader toy, it was processing that video stream on the device and identified because those toys are pretty well specified. They're only some, some number of SKUs of Toys R Us. So we went to Toys R Us and wrote them all down and took pictures of them all. So if they're like, like, that base, like that basic, just writing right. down SKUs at Here, Toys R Us. Well, not writing down the SKUs, but like, here's what, here's Elmo in like its canonical form and the three other Elmo alts that exist. Here's Vader in his canonical action figure form right. and the eight other Vader alts, like the stuffed Vader and like the big tall Vader and the Vader head only. And would process the video stream, identify, oh, Cookie Monster is in frame. And then let's go grab some random audio clip from Cookie Monster. I me like cookies and play that back. The audio clips came from going to YouTube, search for Cookie Monster, find the top eight hits, rip the audio off. This is not a company. This is all stolen IP. So we right. could not build this as a company. But as a thing to go goof off with that summer, use the force, Luke. I like cookies would be now a, a mix up based on what toys were in kids' hands. We then set up a testing room in my back bedroom of my house and bought a like six person REI tent which filled up the room, but that meant the background was like large yellow and red panels of REI tentiness. So an Elmo doll or a Vader doll would show up, or Batman, very visibly against that background, threw 20 pillows in the tent, and invited kids from the neighborhood into the tent and say, hey, and threw some toys on the floor, and watch what happened. And after that first day of doing it, the kids all came back the second day, knocked on the door, Mr. Jacob, Mr. Jacob, can I go play with that funny Vader, Elmo, Dora, Batman, Buzz thing, tent thing, please? So this was your market research? To see what the voice space interaction would be. Is there an interest in doing this? Is it appealing? Is it fun? What happens? And and about the third session, it happened to be that of the children that came over, one of those down the street from us um, is particularly strong academically. She's the older sister of a younger brother. The two are in the tent. And that girl particularly happened to have picked up Elmo. The particular audio clip we had randomly selected was, hey, it's Elmo. Please tell me a story. And she's... That happened. And she said, well, we were camping last weekend and my dad was trying to build a campfire. But then like the marshmallows got burnt and we couldn't make the s'mores and and it started to rain and just went. I watched that. Holy cow. They're having a conversation. And it was to her an utterly convincing question. I bet you we could build a conversation here. Over the next then four weeks, while the rest of the founding team joined the company and signed them up. The demo that we went to go raise money on was a related simple iPad application that would recognize only a teddy bear. And when it saw the teddy bear in your hand, you could ask it like three questions. It would sing two nursery rhymes and really understand Martin's Scottish accent well, but nobody else. Very limited speech recognition, very limited dialogue structure, very limited responses, but could demonstrate that we could recognize speech enough to pick up just enough of the keywords to trigger the right response and fake a conversation. And we're very open with that with the investors we spoke to. But this presents the concept that a character and a person right. can actually have a conversation back and forth 
we want to go pursue building a company in this space, and will you please invest in Toy Talk? And the idea is that the pitch was we're going to create a a conversation robot that's actually maybe running on the cloud or whatever. So it has a big database behind it that actually is powered by AI and understands and can actually have a more full conversation. It was certainly the case that when it came to like accuracy of speech recognition, the vocabulary we could recognize and the power of that, you get a, you know, a thousand extra more by going to a cloud service on the understanding what's said side. On the content side, you get a thousand X in cloud storage. Now I can write a lot of dialogue. I can make a lot of things that can say back. I can build really complex branching conversation structures and free flowing dialogue engines and an AI system behind it that would make it even more believable as a conversational partner. If you guys believe in that vision, give us a check, we'll build a company and give it a go. Right. That's that's what we're off to, to try to do. And you got a check. So we did. We closed our first round with Greylock Partners and David Z joined our board. And then Charles River Ventures and Coastal Ventures followed in subsequent years. The first products we bought to market were in the mobile space and were applications on mobile on iOS and then Android, um, where characters could speak back and forth with kids. And that led to the Mattel partnership. They were like animated characters on yeah. the phone. When you're doing a character that's animated, which, by the way, having integrated with Unity can be done in AR and VR. So folks who want to build characters you talk back and forth to in those systems are have been built and shipped years ago. There's several challenges there. The first one is, how does a character move and perform in, a, in an animation sense? With lip sync, with dialogue, you're deciding to send back live in runtime. So mm. if, you're, if you could say this or could say that, I can't animate all possible things you could ever say. I also can't write all things you can possibly say too. So part of dialogue is generated live. It has to be, like if you ask a character what the weather is, as well as 70 degrees and sunny in San Francisco, you can't have all possible weather and temperature combinations. But it's not just deciding to say that new thing. It's then how you actually get the character performance to match that. There's a whole lot of uncanny valley problems when you mismatch what you're saying. That's both the word choice and the vocal performance of the word choice with the acting choice of how the character moves as well too. All right. to work and uncanny valley is that that no man's land you don't want to be in terms of animation, right? Whether you're human or not. If you're just off, you're off. You're off. And then if you go way off, it's kind of cool again. So you right. can go all the way to South Park, which may have, you know, Content-wise, you may enjoy it or not, but is like nowhere near photoreal, but it's like totally fine to watch it. Yeah. So we took that approach with our kids' apps that we built back in the day as Toy Talk as a company. They looked like they were almost torn out construction paper cutouts. Lips did move and lips synced with the dialogue, but we're not trying to build a photoreal character at all. Kids? Yeah. I presume they present a unique problem because they don't speak properly. Or Here's a whole other set of uncertainties we didn't know about. So while kids do have a smaller vocabulary, um, and they develop that over, over the years from, you know, age three or four or five, then all the way up till teenage years and beyond. That changes as children's developmental capabilities of language is acquired across time, and also how they sound, which is the prosody of their voice. Is prosody. Mean, prosody is the accumulated contribution of tone, of pace, of musicality. Right. It's the overall audio landscape Okay. of a line of dialogue. So the prosody of children's voice is very different from adult voice categorically and then different like year to year to year amongst kids. While an adult sort of stabilizes post-puberty once vocal cords are developed and language is generally acquired, let's say you're somewhere later on in high school and beyond, that set of speech recognition algorithms can be designed across swaths of society. A child at age three, five, and seven sounds utterly different. They could be like different people. Words they choose, how they speak, the rate they speak, what they say, and how they sound saying it, like not the same. 
that's why children's speech recognition is so difficult because you're building a separate set of models for individual almost years of their development. And you, you didn't know this going in. N- n- no, I probably should have. But let's be clear. Brian told me that pretty early on when he started here. He's like, <laughs> we got a problem here. And I was like, oh, that sounds like stuff. But one of the reasons we chose to build for kids very early on in the company's history was because the, the vocabulary was limited. And also, having seen what my daughter did and the folks in the tent in my house did, we hoped that children would be amenable to trying a thing that we figured might not be perfect when we come out with it to begin with. So if there's an audience that'd be more accepting as opposed to a super critical 35-year-old right. professional journalist who's like, you're talking animal is not interesting. I don't like it. Yeah. Would my seven-year-old talk to her bunny? Pretty much if it said anything she's in because the doll's currently silent. But that's how the company started. And that led to the relationship with Mattel, which brought a Hello Barbie. And from that place, coinciding with both the explosion of the messenger bots and Alexa skills, we get to today's pull string. What yeah. is Hello Barbie? Hello Barbie is the first fully internet-connected conversational doll. And it's a Barbie doll, normal form factor, that has a special belt buckle. And you press that in, and that activates a microphone. And you can say, hi, Barbie. She'll say, how are you? And talk back to you. And you can have hours and hours and dozens of hours of conversation with her about all the topics that Barbie likes to talk about. Right. Having had like a hundred and well more than a hundred careers in her in Barbie's life, yes, a lot yeah. of material to pick from there. And actually, the challenge with building a character which has that much of a deep and meaningful backstory is to find just the things to talk about that we actually can build. And then, so the next iteration of Barbie, which is super interesting, is the hologram. That's a holographic illusion. There's a sheet of plexiglass that a image is projected onto to give it the appearance of three dimensions. And as you talk back and forth to this version of Barbie, um, you'll see her move and respond back and hear her talk back to you as well, too. In theory, be able to just have a normal conversation with a child up to a certain age. I, like Hello Barbie, there are topics to talk about. So you can set an alarm clock with her. You can ask about the weather, what's going on in your local zip code as well, too. Like, is it sunny or rainy outside? And then other topics Barbie can chat about. Why are you able to do this now when probably this wasn't even possible, I don't know, two, three, four, five years ago? The constituent technologies that are necessary to pull off this illusion of conversation are now in a place where the error rates of speech recognition are low enough, the accuracy of natural language processing, the sophistication of the AI algorithms, and the capabilities of us to create conversation designs and dialogue at a level and an amount that allows for a credible conversation to get brought to market are now plus or minus a year from here we are today. Other things that I haven't mentioned at all yet include bandwidth to and from people's houses and mobile devices, the capacity of cloud compute, uh, its price, um, the price of bandwidth to stream audio on and off as well too, the ability to host those things and handle the traffic. Moving from Barbie to you know, messenger bots, you can get you know, millions of people pile into a single bot to talk text back and forth on, on its first day in market. To handle that kind of load of a thing requires very large cloud deployment of compute, of database, of bandwidth, of you know, all the things you need to execute a runtime service like that. There have been certainly runtime services bigger than that, way bigger than that in the past, like, I don't know, Google search or Facebook itself, but those are wholly owned by those guys, those, those companies. For a startup to be able to deploy cloud, re- cloud resources from AWS, in the case of Amazon's, or other cloud providers like Azure or whatever else, is also a relatively recent phenomenon. And the combination of those two things with the speech technologies getting to the place where they are, those elements now are all there. I think that's why you're seeing today not just a Herculean effort to ship Siri alone, but then Alexa, Cortana, Google Assistant, all pile in, and Messenger bots, Slack bots, Skype bots, and all all pile in now, because now many folks can give a chance to do that. We're seeing an explosion in the space because of it. 
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I was speaking the other day with um, Adam Shire, who's the creator of Siri. Yeah. And he was saying that whomever wins this will be the next, the technology company, the kind of the the next Google, Facebook, or, and it might be Google or Facebook, but the next company uh, over the next decade that will be the dominant technology player, the one who wins voice. It can be two. It could be three. We'll have to see. I don't think it will be 1.0. <laughs> yeah. It won't just be one. And I think what's interesting about this is the discussion I had with my dad was the difference in approach that different companies take. It's also, I have an Alexa and a Google Assistant on my counter at home. I commented earlier about how fast commerce moved to e-commerce with us with Alexa. On the other hand, how fast search leaves phones and goes to Google Assistant. This picking those two companies, their approach to the market and what they're offering is already different from each other. Also true of Siri and, and its HomePod. I don't think it's clear which one of those paths will lead to market dominance in this area. Will the company who takes that lead be able to hold it sustained for enough years to carve out such a huge position because the defensive arguments happening inside the companies in Seattle here in Silicon Valley are different conversations. So from that reason, I think it's an interesting way to watch them develop, the different platforms develop. Pulsing supports them all. So we're happy to accommodate people who use our platform to build for any of those things, but they are used for different purposes, like in their nature. So what, so which brings us back to Pulsing, you were Toy Talk, and then last year you had a, what they call a pivot here, I believe. Yes. What was that about? Noting the coincidence of Hello Barbie's appearance in markets and the rise of messenger bots and Alexa skills. When Hello Barbie had come out being the visible product that it was, a lot of folks called us on the phone and said, hey, you made Barbie talk. Can you make my thing talk? A messenger bot, Alexa skill, Google Home Action, Skype bot. And over the course of the next few months, which is now, let's say, 18 to 15 months ago, we realized that market was only getting bigger. More were calling each week over week. We realized that the software we had built, we were previously using only for ourselves and with Mattel, was actually, as it always had been designed for, a system to build computer conversation. We had used it in the kids' entertainment space to build dialogue for a funny porcupine and a funny octopus and Speakazoo. But we could certainly also use that to build an e-commerce experience, a customer care experience, and now we have right. verticals as broad as hospitality, cosmetics, fashion, athletics, fitness, therapeutics, 
banking are all building things in entertainment and gaming too in the Pulse String platform today. But the analogy, if you use Photoshop to make a digital picture and use Excel to make a spreadsheet, you use Pulse String to build computer conversation. And so that may express itself as a text-based form, as a bot on a texting platform, in a voice-based form as an Alexa skill, Google Assistant action, Cortana skill, or in your IoT device you want to talk back and forth to, or in your AR VR experience in the game, talking to a character. Yes to all those things. We're not fussy about where your computer conversation goes. It makes sense for some things to be text-based bots, some to be voice-based experiences, some to be only on one platform, some to be on many. But the concepts behind intent, understanding what's said to us, content, what we say back, and context, what we choose to say given where we are in the conversation now, are common across conversation design. And Pullstring has always had those three things in it since we built that very, very first thing with a talking teddy bear that only understood Martin's Scottish accent six, five and a half years ago um, were the basic core concepts that are now well embellished and presented in the system. So you changed your name and basically broadened out, changed your focus. That's a pivot capital P. That's not a, that, let's not hide from that. Um, <laughs> Pullstring was always the name of the software system and the building internally. It just surfaces the name of the company and then the product itself. So that name internally never changed. And the outside, the company now has a different moniker on the front door, is the first part about that. So it was an easy name change. We called it Pullstring anyway. I'm excited about the idea that we can now talk to things, text and voice form. So that might be for someone trying to you know, sell you something in a messenger bot. It could be you asking a question of Alexa skill. But when you're talking back and forth to the folks from the sort of the grand tour, we did a, a Alexa skill for the grand tour. I think it's great. We're having a trivia contest with Alexa's voice mixed in with Jeremy Clarkson, James right. Mr. Hammond as well, too. Um, that's an experience we couldn't build before. That's a kind of conversation I actually couldn't have because if Jeremy Clarkson, James and Richard Hammond were in this room right now, Alexa is an actual person. She's in this room. But presented through the Echo, that's an integrated conversation of one computer voice and three recorded voices all together in a trivia game that my kids think just works as fine. Oh, so this is a trivia game to what? To promote it when they launched yeah. or whatever? Yeah, so the trivia changed each week and week from the, across the series of the show. And if you got it right, you got to watch a special surprise video that the Amazon app could show, which is quite a fun thing to go build. But represented, the conversation was actually pretty unique and not a thing you could do in real life without combining those things. How do you create something like that that is a, a character in a game? It, or, you know, the, and it has a, a distinctive character. I appreciate the question because I think that speaks to a thing that we hold very strongly here. Let me go back to talking tutu. That talking stuffed bunny yeah. would speak differently than that talking stuffed rhinoceros and that talking stuffed octopus. And way different from Lieutenant Reyes, who's clearly knee-deep in some bad parts of the world, I presume. In space. In space. And is going to die any moment now. Under, right. under duress, strongly attacking, I can't talk now. It's an emergency. <laughs> The idea of voice, the craft of writing, is a part of this field. It's a part that most technology giants largely disregard. They're, on, to their benefit, algorithmically trying to solve search, trying to solve shopping. Those things need to happen, and I celebrate that as well. Their efforts are largely based on the intent side, recognizing what was said to them in language by you and I with our voices, recognizing this, the sound waveforms turning them into text, then understanding and processing the text to extract meaning from that enough that, oh, confirm purchase? Yes, I'm saying to your house. That is a necessary but insufficient contrib contribution to the field. Another part that matters is how those things all sound and speak differently. There's no way that a Coke and a Pepsi bot will speak the same way. If they would, their ads on TV be the right. same already. But yes. one's red, one's blue. They're already different. You can imagine Southwest Airlines and Virgin Atlantic 
are like remarkably different brands and present different product, but you're getting a plane in both cases. Yes. And guess because I'm, I'm drinking soda water in both cases too, yeah. Coke and Pepsi, but they will speak differently. The expression of design and differentiation in this space is one of language, a language art. It's not a visual one. When I'm hearing you speak, I'm not seeing colors. I'm hearing what you say. So sure, that's what voice actor you might cast to record or not, or what text-to-speech synthesized voice you use. Yeah, yes to that. And the performance differences, sure. That is like the spokesperson on your ads are different from different brands. But it is also an absolutely the words you choose, the order they're in, how they're read, how they're performed. That's the act of, of, of conversation. That's a defense of why design matters in this field and how character is character and character voice, character dialogue, character words are the difference there. But how do you craft the character that's something that is based on an algorithm? The transference of brand to concrete product and market is probably somewhat similar to what goes on at a media or ad agency. If you're going to do a campaign for Virgin Atlantic on television, let's say, and a campaign for Southwest Airlines here in America on television, you would meet with the brand managers, folks in marketing as well, too, understand the core brand principles and the voice of the brand as well, and then try to pitch stories and visuals that support it and differentiate in the same way. Let's now imagine you're writing a fictional novel set in the world of Virgin Atlantic and a fictional novel set in the world of Southwest Airlines. In those two worlds, you would, <laughs> which I don't know what that means, but this for a minute, as an example, I'm going to walk you to a place yes. right now. Then you would write different things, thematically be different, different setting, location, and characters as well, too. The human editorial touch is a thing that I, we celebrate at Pullstring. A lot of other companies in this space try to automate this process out. We'll magically book dialogue trees and magically answer for you. I don't buy that. In our case, writing character totally matter, and what, and what you're saying and how you say it matters is here. I am spending time of hands-on keyboards with humans to help inform what that bot should say, what that skill should respond back with, how that action should behave. And we celebrate that contribution because it's in that place that we differentiate. We make things be special. Because it's, that's the information, but as well as the tone and how it's delivered and the, yeah. the, the whole let, kind of landscape. Let me argue said. the opposite case in this absurdity for a second. Okay. Suppose I wanted to build a really great space alien that had a respiratory challenge. <laughs> what I An go asthmatic to, alien. Would I go to YouTube, download all the respiratorily challenged aliens, average them all together, and would I ever get out Darth Vader out of that? No. No. And would you ever say, I'm your father? No. That would never happen. So that's an act of creation, not an act of averaging of already existing things. Right. Okay. That's the argument for the human touch in contributing to what computer conversation is. Let me argue a different side now. I'm trying to understand all the things you might say to me while you're chatting with me. Okay, well, I could imagine a lot of things, spend weeks writing that all down, but I probably could use the chat logs of all the previous bots you've had in market to get a darn good guess at what the 95% cases of all the things you can say to me are as well, too. So I celebrate both sides of this equation, but the side about you know human editorial contribution is not generally celebrated in this field. People are pursuing the algorithmic That's approach. very much the opposite. Yeah, it's all yes, about automation. Th that's an argument for self-similarity and sameness, and I don't want to talk to an average. You're not an average, and I'm not an average because we're each unique people. That's why this interview is presumably interesting to you and your, and your, and your <laughs> listeners um, and to all of them talking to the folks in their, yeah. in their households that they live in as well, too. So when you try to build to the average all the respiratorily challenged aliens on YouTube is, in fact, the definition of the most boring alien ever because it is the average of them all. What makes them interesting is that they're unique. And the choice we have while building tools and building platforms in the space is where do we want the human editorial contribution to be? 
Um, and we're choosing quite specifically at the place of tone, mood, and style, the voice of, of, the, of the experiences that are built in pull string is a place we care about deeply. And that's why we celebrate that. Have you started thinking about, or do you already think about, if we have this kind of profusion of bots, mm. what that means back here on Earth, away from our respiratorily challenged alien, what that means for jobs? It has historically typically been the case that when changes occur technologically like this, resources, people were able to be deployed, get jobs in areas that were more productive or more interesting to go work in as well, too. I generally have positive hope for humanity that'll be the case here. For the rudimentary, mundane, and repeatable questions and answers that are being offered back and forth now, those things probably should be automated because the actual skill behind a call center is to handle the exception case. And taken to an extreme degree is Zappos phone service. There's a great passage in Tony Shea's book about that, where unlike most call centers, they celebrate folks who talk as long as they possibly can to a customer who calls in to support. I think the world record now for that is like nine and a half, 10 hours. That sounds absolutely terrible. It's something like that. But that person... I think we'll never forget their Zappos connection forever. We're talking right. about it now in an interview that's you know years later written in a book. We are very far from computer conversation being able to hold legitimately crafted human fidelity conversation requires limitations today to execute, not in the broad sense. So the the there is a fear I've heard expressed that like bots take over the world and yeah. we're all going to be confused. No. These are constructive things just like mobile apps are and websites are as well too. Lieutenant Reyes is in Call of Duty. He's in danger and needs to be helped for the next you know, 10 minutes. We can deliver a very high fidelity conversation in that experience because I defined it so, so specifically. If you look at the Reddit threads that people posted about it, half the gaming community was convinced it wasn't a bot and was 100 of us on keyboards heckling them back and forth live because the answers really? were so vibrant, interesting, and clever it actually is ambiguous whether there was a hundred of us hands on keyboards making fun of them or was it actually bot responding back. So that Turing test question also, which is embedded somewhere you asked or you asked yeah. on directly has been passed a million times an hour today across society. Like that we, we are, we are but not in sure. very controlled. The Turing test being this, there's, you can't distinguish between this computer and this human. Yeah. And so to your point, people know talking to bots or not, a bunch yeah. don't today and it's kind of fine. Yeah. No one's crying about it. But those are very, as you say, it's not you call up and you're speaking to a voice who may or may not be human. You're not you on back. a first right. date. <laughs> right. And to, to pull that off credibly, yes. you're not negotiating a mortgage for a house. Those kind of things are not credibly represented today in a way that evolves over time. You could probably build synthetic versions of those that might play in a given scenario. But one of the real gifts of humanity is that we all grow up. Like time goes forward as one directional. And so we have this interview tomorrow versus yesterday, it'd be different. How does a bot evolve over time? Machine learning is a topic is commonly talked about in this field. Yes, bots machine learn in the sense they get better at recognizing intents they didn't match before. But th those are remarkably limited constructions compared to what like a third grader does one day in school. So I want to strongly differentiate yeah the kind of broad growth of the mind that humans explore. And we are generations away from doing that technologically. I'm trying to build bots and skills and have them built in the posting platform now. As a leader in the field, we are deeply aware of what state of the art is in this field today and what is commercially viable. 
and I can see, you know, what might be available six months, a year or two going forward as well. And I can go to futuristic conferences, talk about what might happen 10, 20, 30 years from now, but no one's ever been good at predicting that stuff that far out. So mm-hmm. I don't get too worried about that myself. What we care about is that the customers of what of PullString itself and what they build, are they being successful in market today enough? Now you can build successful computer conversation that credibly delivers character-based unique voice that's related to brand and the company you're building for and bring things out across many, many verticals that are useful to folks, enjoyable to use, and a better experience than you would find on a keyboard or a phone today. And as we do that going forward, we'll find more and more of those cases going forward. And all from a stuffed bunny. I look forward to when it just works. Yeah. Because right now it's still, you know, Siri is still pretty terrible. I mean, a lot of these things are still pretty terrible. In certain cases today, it works really well. Let's go to the music case with my mm. Alexa in my house. I think what's interesting about this field is that I've heard a lot of people criticize either you know products in this field or companies working in it because this bot, scale or action, doesn't answer all the questions that I can answer of it. Well, that's true of you right here today. Where are my kids? What's in my fridge? I don't know. What plants are in my backyard that I planted last year? Like you have, I, I, I can go on forever and yeah. you're like, I don't know, I don't yeah. know, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. That's all you say back. And that's fine. I still enjoy my time with you. We had a nice interview. We're talking <laughs> about this. Like, I'm not like, oh, yeah. you're a really bad reporter because yeah. you know where my kids are right now. Yeah. Like, why would you ever know that at all? So the, the concept, I guess there is a transformation between the science fiction concept of the Star Trek computer yes. in the show, which we'll all go back to here, that we think could answer all those questions, which is convenient as a narrative construct for Star Trek to have that be the case, um, versus we actually, it would not be okay if there was one all-seeing, omnipotent Skynet that could actually answer all questions ever. That actually isn't what this world should have, yeah. nor something we could build, nor should we try to build it. That's like, kind of what Elon Musk is saying is going to be the end of humanity. Like, if that actually happened, well, we have a whole different conversation to have, but that is yeah. like... It would never be able to answer what's what's going to happen to me tomorrow, like that whole set of things is unanswerable. Yeah. And you know what happened to my my ancestors five hundred years ago? That's lost to antiquity. Also unanswerable as well too. So I come up with an infinite number of questions. Nothing could ever answer ever. I'm fine with that. Your bot is no good. Your action is really bad, and your skills. No, I don't like it because it's super frustrating when a thing doesn't respond back in a constructive way to you. And that's a different question, which is how you handle the error condition. Another point I'll just make here quickly that is often disregarded in the industry in general, but that we have a very strong advocacy for. The point at which, in your inner motivational sense, the point that true character is revealed is when a character is put under pressure and has to make a decision. And what choice they make or don't make reveals often that what that character's true character really is, for a bot skill or action that happens at the point you ask it a thing it doesn't know how to answer. You've now stressed the code. What do we do? I don't know. I'm a stock bot. I don't know the weather. Oh my God. What should I say? If you say, bunk, bunk, error, like, well, that stinks. Like, boo, don't care. Bunk, bunk, check Wikipedia. Boo, don't care. I could have gone to Wikipedia myself anyway. Come on, give me something better than that. You could be cheeky and make a joke about it, or you could redirect back to what you can talk about, or simply say, I don't know, I'm a reporter working yeah. here, I'm more than talking about pull string, I don't know where your kids are, and we're both okay with that. Let's yeah. move on. Um, but how you handle the, the computer science error condition 
in a humanistic language form is probably one of the most important things when designing in the space. So in other words, you can't have error 404 show up. That's such a cop-out. Like, yeah. at least go fail whale and fail, fail interestingly. Yeah. Be like, I don't know, but look, now listen to this song. <laughs> <laughs> so, so look, as the, as the voice operating systems get broader and better. Yeah, that dissonance will naturally... How we handle those circumstances when we ask questions about skills and actions they're not designed to do and redirect the, the audience or user back to a place that they can get that, that information, not just error out, is, this, is a super important bit of your design. Because in that moment, you will communicate, are you helpful? Are you recalcitrant? Are you kind of angry and pouty? Are you being eager to, to answer my questions? And, and is, which one of those things and everything in between is your brand and your company and, and, and you're, are you trying to communicate to the, the folks who are engaging you in conversation? The combination of technology and creativity that was certainly vibrantly present to this day at Pixar and has been since Pixar's founding is also very true in the space here at Pullstring. Those two fields come together to here try to credibly deliver a computer conversation and reaching for human fidelity as we go forward. So the technical side of that is deep and fundamental computer science research and we're a part of that, as are the big technology giants investing in that space as well, too. And the creative side of that is the side that is deciding what you're saying back and how is that voice specific and what way is it specific and how can we do that at a level that really yeah. convinces folks that they're having a – and helps folks. But we're still very, very far from human fidelity, let's say. We are, but we, that is, we're aiming there. Yeah. If we can get there, then we could craft things that are new, that are not – you could then make Toy Story photorealistic imagery is what some people in computer graphics aspire to. Can I make a picture you can not distinguish from a photograph? Here, like, audio realistic conversation is not really my goal. I, I don't care to fake you as a reporter and trick everybody into it. I do want, as human fidelity goes, the interest level, how compelled you are by conversation, what you learn from it, how efficient it is, and how engaging it is. Yeah, I'm totally in for those qualities of it. Like the field of computer animation here in computer conversation, to build to that place, you first dissect the field down to the elemental constructs that are needed and then reassemble them with control just in the right spot to let artists and technologists craft unique experiences, but have them present at a human fidelity level. That's the game. I wish you luck. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. And that's it. Thank you to Oren for a fascinating conversation i'm now off to go watch toy story and watch it with entirely fresh eyes please before um you go off and watch it too take a second uh, stop into apple Podcasts, give us a rating and review uh, it always helps you can also find me of course every sunday in the sunday times you can find me online at thetimes.co.uk and on Twitter at, at Danny Fortson, at D-A-N-N-Y-F-O-R-T-S-O-N. That is it uh, for this week. Until next time. Thanks a lot. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.